Looking back, I made a lot of mistakes in how I handled personnel at a difficult time. You know, I think at times I'm very task oriented. It was more cogs in the wheel and how do we, you know, it's very on paper, but then it's like, gosh, you hear the personal stories on the back end or the worries and concerns that are keeping people up at night. I think I probably could have had a little more empathy early on. I tried to towards the end, still proud of how we handled it, but it was, there were definitely bumps along the way. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes, set the foundation for your success get some wins knucklehead podcast this is steven your knucklehead coming at you today another episode of knucklehead podcast and i'm excited uh i'm excited to sit down with you know one of the things that's it's it's interesting about um the podcast is you know we'll talk to a therapist a business owner uh, somebody who's got um a, a tremendous amount of experience in the business world who's a you know an investor now or an advisor uh, different parts of their career or different parts of their career. And I'm excited to sit down and talk to somebody who's got a really, really good work and knowledge of how to evaluate business and looking at, you know, uh, business operations um, uh, from a different lens, not from the startup lens. He'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but uh, talking about from the differences between a startup and already an existing, uh, you know, enterprise, it's got a, the engine humming, so to speak, and they're providing opportunities for people. So, um, based off of, uh, based off of those characteristics, it sounds as if we've got quite the discussion here today. So I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping into it with our guest, John, uh, Austinson. Is that right, John? You got it, Steven. Yeah, right, excited cool. to be here. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, I appreciate you blocking some time, uh, John. So the way that, um, the way that we like to set things up here at Knucklehead is, is, is real simple. We talk a little bit about, kind of what got you to what you're doing now. And, and a lot of times in these conversations, it, it wasn't because things were going awesome at, you know, at a, um, you know, at a previous career or pre previous role. Sometimes that's the case and people are able to build on their successes, but there's some common characteristics between those people who go from, you know, something that wasn't going great to something that is going great or somebody who's developing momentum and they're in that second phase of their career. And um, some of it has to do with business ownership or some decisions that they've made from mistakes that have happened in the past. So um, I don't want to point you right in the direction of just go start with the mistakes, but tell people a little bit about kind of some of your background and, you know, kind of what yeah. got you to what you're doing now, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. No, John Austin, based here in Atlanta, Georgia. And Stephen, like we're talking about, you know, my background, I was largely in the corporate world, good bit of my career, like many of your listeners, and I had a good run, could have kept doing that, but, you know, had that entrepreneurial ish to do something a little different. And for me, that was initially stepping from a public company into a private company and um, had the opportunity to step in as president of Shelf Genie franchise system, custom pull-out shelving for kitchens and pantries, supporting franchisees across North America, uh, really eye-opening experience for me. And through that, I ended up partnering with the founder of Shelf Genie. And we said, hey, we see an opportunity in the market to build a marketing agency that has digital marketing and media buying and creative but also has a call center. So we're making the phone ring and we're answering calls, setting appointments for our clients. And let's expand to not just supporting Shelf Genie, but let's take this out and support other franchise systems. So um, again, we'll dig into the detail here, but essentially I put together a model that seemed like it made a lot of sense on paper. We went out, we built it, we grew it. It wasn't as profitable as I thought. And, and so we'll circle back on that, but, but also parlayed into what I'm doing now, which absolutely love it. It's the world of franchising, the world of non-food franchising and helping others step into business ownership with hundreds of different brands that we represent. Um, entrepreneurship is alive and well across the country, but many people, when they think of franchising, think of food 
don't understand all these other industries that it can be a much better path to business ownership uh, for many of them. So get to play matchmaker out there and support my clients and then also invest in franchises myself. How cool is that? That's quite the jump though, from a, a corporate career into uh, entrepreneurship though. What, uh, talk a little bit about if we can rewind the clock back, you know, as you're in your corporate career and you're, you know, doing meetings, essentially being in control of budgets, going out there and, and dominating the world from that perspective, What's the paradigm shift that you had to go through uh, as you were evaluating that that jump from you know corporate stability, so to speak, to you know business yeah. ownership and uh, and building a company up to the size of forty folks? Yeah, frankly, I'm still recovering from all of the <laughs> corporate experience. I think six years yeah. later. So, yeah, I was in my mid thirties, and, and you know, I hear this from clients all the time. They're thinking the same way I was at that time. Of you know, gosh, you know, I had the golden handcuffs, the stock options, all that. And it was hard to walk away, but. I've been at the company, um, a great company for for 10 years and had uh, that entrepreneurial itch that I think so many of us have, but I didn't know how to scratch it. I didn't know what that looked like. And, you know, I had a lot of ideas. I had a lot of friends with ideas. And, you know, I was very fortunate to kind of stumble into Shelf Genius through uh, several connections. But, um, you know, first that was a mind shift for me. Now I'm the one making all the decisions instead of, you know, in the company, I still had several levels above me. Um, And so it was some freedom, autonomy to really put my thumbprints all over things. Um, at the same time, I felt this huge burden to all these small business owners so uh, that I was supporting on a daily basis. Um, but so it, it really changed. And I'd say the bigger jump was when I went there into what was 10X5, what was the name of our uh, marketing agency and call center, because I own 60% of the business, my partner had 40%. And that's just a ton of responsibility when you're bringing team members on and you're the one that makes the decisions. And so I think going from the corporate bureaucracy into business ownership was what I wanted and the freedom, but it was also a lot of onus and, and responsibility I felt on my shoulders when I went to bed at night. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting uh, description of the reality for somebody who, who has the, uh, let's just say the responsibility, so to speak, of owning 60% of the business. It's the outcome uh, of the negative outcome that, you know, I think that we all kind of keeps us, uh, keeps us up at night, if that makes sense. That negative outcome though, sometimes can lead to a, um, you know, a, a spiral of, of decision-making. So let's, you know, let's just use the example of, um, that recognition point where, you know, you're at that 40 person size and you're out there, you're still servicing customers. You're still essentially delivering, um, you know, a, a living to those 40 folks. Talk, talk a little bit about what you started to recognize uh, within the business. Was it the numbers? Was it the, the ecosystem? Was it just you not wanting to continue to, uh, to have to uh, deal with the, the rigmarole? Like, what was it that you recognized that kind of gave you that fodder or the, or the information to make that decision to scale things down? Yeah. No, great question. So we'd built up a leadership team. I'd brought on a lot of young folks, I'd say right around 30 years old, a couple of years younger than me that you know, bought into the vision that I laid out for them. And I kind of sold them on the vision. They got excited. They want to put their thumbprints on a company. A lot of them leaving the corporate world as well. So we had a leadership team that's largely millennials right around 30 years old. Great group. Most of them took a pay cut to come work with us. Um, but we really banded together. We did a lot of neat things. I mean, we went skydiving, we, you know, it, it, different, different activities. And we're all so enthused and we started growing the business. We built it up to about four or five million a year in revenue. We had about 40 employees. And again, on paper, I thought we'd built a better mousetrap. We're making the phone ring and we're answering it. And, um, but ultimately, the financials caught up with us. We weren't profitable. 
And uh, you know, I started my fa- partner and I started having to put cash into the business, and that's a that's another paradigm shift right there where you're putting cash in to hit payroll. I mean, that's a stress that if you've never had it, you won't know it until you're in that position. So, um, you know, and then our you know kind of glorified title, but our CFO, you know. And I started meeting a lot saying, how can we cut costs? You know, how can we grow this? And the writing really became apparent to me. It was my 40th birthday week. And I was up in Washington, D.C. with my wife. I was exhibiting at, at a conference. And I, I told her, uh, I've, got, I've got to wind this thing down. It, you know, there, we're not going to have a sexy exit. There's not going to be any sugarcoating with this. I've got to call a spade a spade because the model is not what I thought it was. We were too custom for too many clients and we weren't able to get the synergies and economies of scale. Um, and, and as a result, though people wanted what we offered, they weren't willing to pay for that additional customization. And so it just kind of came together and hit me. And I said, we've got to wind this down. And I then spent the next, I'd say 45 to 60 days winding the business down. We found homes for our employees. We found homes for our clients uh, in a lot of cases. So I'm really proud of how we handled it. You know, I'm glad I didn't drag my feet because I'd been dragging my feet a little bit. It was in my gut that I needed to do something. Um, but I finally made that call again, the week and I turned 40. And that was a big pivot for me back before pivot was a you know, popular word. Uh, you know, this was right before COVID, actually. It was just a few months before. No, no sign of COVID on the radar. Um, wow. But good timing. So thankful in hindsight that we did. It yeah. was in hindsight a really good time. So very thankful. But man, you know, I talked about the responsibility you feel when you're in the moment. Gosh, sure. That it was, it was difficult, but proud of how we handled it. What was it about how you handled it? Like, walk me through a little bit because it's it sounds like um, it, to have a recognition and an appreciation for for how you scaled the business down um, would insinuate to me that you've seen things. You know, whenever there's an, an exit or some some type of negative situation that that potentially you've witnessed something that you're like, well, I would have probably done things differently. And you would have liked to have, you know, provided an opportunity to your employees to help them go and find a, a different home. Just talk people a little bit about what 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 was it about that scaling down that was so important to you to do things, I guess, quote unquote, the right way. Yeah. Again, we had a lot of people that had taken pay cuts to work with us. They bought into the vision. We had something exciting going. And uh, so I think it came as a surprise to a lot of them. You know, we, we tried to have open book management where we shared the finances with team members, but there's always a story behind it. And a lot of times it's a timing thing. And so I think reaching that cold reality where it's like, it's actually going to happen. Uh, we're actually going to need to wind this down. And it's like, well, it just brings up a lot of questions or things that were left uncovered in the past. And you know, part of my learning experience through all that too is just the personnel management. You know, I realized about myself, I would much rather work with em- uh, clients than with employees. I like being at the tip of the spear out there on the front lines. I'm not great at managing a large team of employees. And I learned that about myself, you know, once I was in that role. And, uh, you know, I think some others do a much better job. But for me, I get frustrated dealing with HR related issues. I'd much rather feel like I'm moving the needle, growing the business. And so that was part of the learning experience for me, too. So looking back, I made a lot of mistakes in how I handled handled personnel at a difficult time. You know, I think at times I'm very task oriented. It was more cogs in the wheel and how do we, you know, it's very on paper. But then it's like, gosh, you hear the personal stories on the back end or the worries and concerns that are keeping people up at night. I think I probably could have had a little more empathy early on. I tried to towards the end, um, but a lot of it was my own maturing as a leader, um, you know, where, again, I made mistakes, had to have difficult conversations for things I should have done differently. Um, in the end, still proud of how we handled it, but it was, there were definitely bumps along the way. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, change, 
change is that way, right? It, it wouldn't matter if things are very well orchestrated uh, or you're kind of figuring out a way to, I mean, nobody, nobody teaches you that in a, in a school, how to properly wind down an organization, right? It's not a, you have to go largely through the experience or through the advice of other people who've been there, done that um, on, on how you can do that um, the right way. Um, it's interesting, interesting to think about what training or what opportunities that, that provided for you in order to recognize, I guess, how, uh, what, what was so attractive about franchising, right? So in order to, in order to have a franchise, there's, there's things that have to be in place, right? There's, there are like lock type principles, uh, and, you know, lines of business that are very structured and organized. That's the exact opposite of, you know, starting from scratch, right? I mean, granted, there's still kind of building blocks that you need to have whenever you're going out there and landing your first client and, you know, putting some systems and processes in place to build momentum, uh, et cetera. But talk to me a little bit about what, you know, what that experience did for your ability to to recognize a sound business model, which is franchising, but, you know, what you do now. Like, talk talk a little bit about, um, you know, the differences between those two worlds. Yeah, no, and, and that's a great question. I really lay it out. We've got a book coming out in September titled Non-Food Franchising. And I compare franchises versus uh, startups versus acquisitions of existing businesses. We talk about the trade-offs within each because it has been my experience firsthand that franchising can be a better path to business ownership. It's not right for everyone, but for the vast majority, I'd say it, it is the better path. And of course, the success rates and everything else are there. But you know, what, what I share with clients today, you know, some of the things that are most attractive about franchising are, you know, you've got a proven business model here. You know, in my experience with that other company, we did not have a proven business model. It was kind of flying by the seat of my pants. You have a proven business model. Yeah, the franchisor on the sideline, that's like a coach. You know, the better you do, the better they do. So you're in business for yourself and not by yourself, just to be a little cliche on you. Um, but you also have other franchisees across the system. They're living the same thing day in, day out. So you guys are sharing exchanges, you know, best practices, learnings uh, as you walk through it together. Um, you, you know, you really get uh, synergized buying power. You know, you're able to get things oftentimes from a supply chain at a lower rate. You're able to um, you know, make marketing decisions. You know, franchisors are running a lot of the marketing. They're looking at large data sets across the country, not just your individual locations. You get a lot of intelligence. And this is really interesting, Stephen. Um, at the end of the day, you actually get a better exit multiple in a franchise versus non-franchised across like-kind industries. I won't get into all the detail, but there have been studies done to show that you actually traded a higher multiple upon that exit. So, you know, for those that are not in business ownership, I definitely, I mean, we're seeing more interest than we've ever seen. I think COVID's caused a lot of people to question the path they're on, but um, you know, also people are opening up their eyes to the different industries. I mean, we, we support clients across home and property services. That's been a wildly popular area with a lot of competitive advantages and niches within it. Um, yeah. Health and wellness. You know, we still do a little bit of fitness deals or oil change deals, but you know, people love dumpsters. They love uh, you know gutters. They love businesses that are non-sexy. I joke that non-sexy is the new sexy. You know, in during a time of recession, what will people spend on? The things they care about, you know, their kids, their pets, their aging population. So any businesses that support those kind of sectors, um, you can find within franchising. And, and we're having fun. I mean, I love seeing my client success stories. That's good to hear. I mean, the exact opposite. If somebody's been, you know, programmed themselves to watch the news for, uh, to get information, yeah. it's, it's really good to hear. Uh, one that... It's good to hear that you're working in a space that, uh, you know, that there's a lot of business and interest and energy. Uh, it sounds like there's a lot of, of conversations that lend themselves to, um, uh, 
kind of an adventurous way of thinking about it because business ownership and entrepreneurship to a certain extent it's it is it is an adventure right whether you're whether you're working in a career or you're starting a business and the way to describe entrepreneurship in a lot of cases is like an adventure i mean shameless plug it is some people say it's risky i think working for someone else is risky um i think there are paradigm shifts that people have and um, that's yeah, true. The fact is, that's as a true. business owner, you get a cash flow, you get an asset that you're going to be able to sell, you're able to write off expenses. Right now, there's record levels of cash on the sidelines and that and SBA loans. I mean, we're, we're, we have never been so busy doing deals with clients. Uh, so entrepreneurship, I'd say, is alive and well in the U.S. Two or three of my clients say, hey, recession fears, you know, are going to cause me to just preserve cash and sit on the sidelines. But others have said there's never been a good time to buy a business. Now is as good times ever. And a lot of businesses, again, in non-trendy, non-sexy areas are going to continue to thrive. Yeah. I mean, I like how you described, well, first of all, you said something about a book that's coming out. Um, When is the book come out? Yeah, it should be into September, may slip to early October, but it'll be right there into Q3. Okay. Early Q4. And it's in the title of the book, you said is non-food franchises. Okay. All right, cool. Very good. So all right, for those of you who are listening, you want to read a little bit more about what John's talking about. Non-food franchises comes out in September, October. Um, yeah. man, we'll 95% of my clients, 95% of my clients don't want anything to do with food. The other 5%, I'm very thankful for them because we certainly need them. Sure. But yeah, the 95% would agree with me. There's just easier ways to make money and maybe less capital intensive on the front end, fewer employees, less operational hours, maybe less waste. Uh, all these other industries are where the action is right now. So when it, yeah, I appreciate that delineation between those two. And to your point, even, you know, my knuckle dragon uh, perspective is, yeah, when you say franchises, the first thing I think of is McDonald's, right? And and that's it. Uh, Obviously, there's significantly more than just McDonald's. But uh, to your point about at having uh, multiple industries that are non-food related as kind of your, your core offering, um, do, do you run into people who are seasoned entrepreneurs who've started multiple businesses who say, you know what, rather than having to start something from scratch, I want to rely on your expertise, John, and just have a discussion about what, you know, which business would be the right fit in order to kind of land, so to speak. Yeah. Absolutely. No, we work with about 600 different brands, wide variety. I always bet those down to probably 50 that I feel are the best of the best, but we work with those looking to leave the corporate world, those in their 20s to their 60s. And, and I'd say certainly 30s and 40s, 50s, probably sweet spot. Um, but no, corporate executives, we work with a lot of existing business owners that either own a franchise or they've started their own thing. And to your point, why go uh, you know, start on first base again with their next venture when you can start on third base? You know, A lot of it's been figured out and there's just a lot of benefit. Again, once you understand the types of businesses out there, you know, and some of our clients will say, hey, you know, let's build out this portfolio of business. You know, I always I like to mention Nathan Bocock, one of my clients in South Carolina, largest franchisee of two men in a truck moving service. And, um, you know, 40 years old, built it up to a $30 million, 12 market deal. Well, he came to me a couple of years ago and said, hey, I'm ready for my next venture. We looked at different opportunities together. He ultimately got into one in the waste management space and has since come back and bought additional locations, just thriving, put a young guy over the business, gave him a little bit of equity, came back the next year and said, hey, I'm interested in the... Um, home services space now, you know, I want to diversify. I've got a young guy that can go run it for us, introduced him to a driveway uh, franchise, you know, the largest national driveway franchise, really one of the only ones out there. 
and he fell in love with it. It's come back and bought additional locations, just thriving. That's actually one that I'm a franchisee of myself. So I invest in some of these franchises, um, but love niches like that. Niches that are cash flowing, that are understandable, um, you know, with low overhead. That's where we operate. And yeah, you know, Stephen, I'll just mention this because I don't think we've talked about, but our service is entirely free for our clients. We're funded by the brands on the back end. For them, it's a sales and marketing expense. So it's a great, clean model for me getting to really sit on the same side of the table as my clients as we navigate opportunities together. Yeah, that's it. It's a good call out. And it was leading to my next question because there was two areas that we haven't touched on yet that I think it's a good place to kind of land uh, this particular conversation because there's this is probably an opportunity for for folks to mess up, right? I mean, if they don't have their financing tight, if their performers are off, or if they don't get, you know, the right access to resources, you know, they can really it can be a huge misstep. It can add years uh, to um, uh, to pay off, uh, for lack of a better term. So, talk real quick about you know what that due diligence consists of. If somebody were to reach out to you, what you know, what are some things that potentially they would be you know talking about relative to yeah. financing or, or real estate, you know, evaluation to go f- you know find the right location. Talk through yeah. a little bit of that. Yes, yeah, so I'll start on the funding side, then we'll talk about the process. So on the funding side, I'd say about a third of my clients will use cash to fund the purchase. About a third will use an SBA loan. Another third will use either their retirement plan. We've got some ways of structuring that around the tax code um, or a HELOC on, on their home, depending on where their assets are. Um, I'd say 75% of our clients' deals are in the 125 to 300,000 range, certainly some larger, some a few, a little bit smaller, but that would be the all-in investment, including working capital. Um, and so we've got great funding partners that work with us and help our clients in those regards. Uh, the process, my belief is we can sit around and theorize about businesses all day, but let's start looking at specific opportunities because that's where it begins to crystallize in your mind that framework of the characteristics you're looking for. How do you compare option A to option B? So uh, what we've done is we've really streamlined the process. And so I'd get on the phone with the client. We'll have a conversation, 20, 25 minutes, have them fill out some brief information, not a whole lot. And then we'll on the next call, we'll jump into opportunities. We'll review eight, nine, 10 opportunities in their market that I feel are the best of the best based on what they've shared with me, based on what I'm seeing resonate with others across the country with backgrounds similar to theirs. I mean, we do more deals than 99% of other brokers out there. So we get great visibility into what's resonating uh, you know, with different types of backgrounds. A lot of times it's white collar backgrounds stepping into blue collar industries. Um, but we then have the client narrowed down to three or four that you know, intrigue them the most. We make introductions to the franchisor. Um, and then that starts the process where they go through several steps with the franchisor, typically about a two month process. And um, you know, we're supporting them along the way, having checkpoints and uh, you know, helping them process what they're hearing. And you know, it could be that we drop some opportunities and we bring others in for consideration. Again, as we start to build that framework of what would be the perfect fit. Yeah, it's a very uh, organized process. It sounds 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 very um, helpful. For Franchising is all about processes. You got to start at the <laughs> beginning. That's right. Yeah, well, it's it's helpful. It's helpful to hear that call out too. So for those of you who are listening, my encouragement to you is, if one of the things that you know that John's talking about, um, you know, sounds interesting to you, or it was a pain point with you, if your previous business, I mean, perhaps. You know, evaluating franchising as an opportunity is, is is a good conversation and probably a good starting point, you know, this podcast to go back through and, and listen to again to find out, you know, potentially this is something that you want to evaluate. You want to talk to uh, uh, somebody who's got their, you know, their their everyday conversations consisting of evaluating these things. John would probably be a pretty good person to reach out to. Uh, 
John, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but what's the best way for somebody who is listening to the podcast to reach out and touch, touch base with you outside of obviously going and getting the non-food franchise book in September? Yeah. Yeah. Come out to our website, frambridgeconsulting.com. I'm sure it'll be in the, in the show notes. Um, yeah, sign up for our monthly newsletter. We put out some great content. I, I believe I may, I may be biased, but uh, we've gotten good feedback. And, and by doing so, we'll also get your copy for all of your listeners of our book when it comes out. We'll send you um, probably an audio version as well as an online version. So, um, yeah, we'd love to deliver that to you and add as much value as we can. And then, you know, whenever you're ready to take a step further and really want to, to discuss it, happy to jump on a brief call as well. Very good. Very good. Well, I appreciate that. That's the price. I mean, that's the price of listening right there. There you go, guys. And rather than having to pay for something, you can have a conversation with somebody who can stair step you into what could be a second career or in some cases an alternative career for, uh, for those of you who are listening. A lot of our listeners, you know, they're, they're interested in business ownership, right? But they're either active duty military, you know, running a side hustle or they're, you know, they're full-time entrenched in their career and they're just looking for that exit ramp to what comes next, or they've already done that. You know, they've, they've gone through that. You wanted to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to mention real fast, Stephen. We didn't touch on this, but, you know, half of our clients are looking to step into something full-time. The other half are looking to get something going on the side. And a lot of the franchises do allow for that executive semi-absentee model. So in some cases, you can't keep the day job. You know, nothing's ever easy, but you can manage both. Yeah, it is. It's tough to walk what we call a Marine Corps, just walk and chew gum at the same time. Try not to do it all the time because then you end up uh, getting yelled at by somebody. Sometimes it's... Yeah, that significant other that, hey, listen, just focus. And plus, you got family time. So anyway, that's a detail. Um, John, I appreciate you blocking some time and having a, a lively conversation with us relative to, uh, you know, what it is that you're doing, kind of what led you to that to that point. We didn't touch on it a, a ton, uh, but can you talk just, and we'll wrap this way. I said we were going to wrap a little bit earlier, but just talk about the, I guess the I don't want to call it the freedom, but the, it seems like there's a significant weight that's been lifted after you made the recognition and scaled down that organization and moved into this. Talk a little bit about, um, and, and then this is how we will end. What what it's what life has been like since you've you know kind of gotten into this part of business ownership and and being around like-minded individuals who are just looking to add some accelerators to it in in the form of different locations for their franchise. Talk talk about what life has been like and how different it is versus how it was whenever you were stressed out trying to scale down a 40 person organization. Yeah. No, I, I mean, honestly, Stephen, I pinch myself every day. I love what I do because I get to see the fruits of my labor, helping others, you know, helping my clients get into business ownership. I see them come back by additional locations, refer friends and family. I mean, it's one of the most rewarding types of jobs I can imagine. We're creating jobs, we're creating business owners. So I absolutely love that. I love learning the new business models as well. Um, I do have a lot of flexibility with my time. That being said, I'm the hardest boss I've ever had. I've never worked so many hours. I've never been more passionate about what I do. And that's what the difference is. I absolutely love what I do. And as a result, I'm, you know, I was having dinner with some other business owners last night. We're talking about when you love what you're doing, you, you want to work. And so you really do have to pull yourself back and uh, not live in the future, but live in the moment when your kids are young and really you know prioritize. So that's something I'm constantly wrestling with is making sure my priorities are aligned because it's very easy for me to, to overwork. Um, because I've got a tough boss. 
Yeah, I understand. Uh, it's, I appreciate that. For those of you who are actually seeing this on video, John's got three pictures of his family behind him. Uh, real quick, can you talk about that? You got kiddos and stuff like that behind you. It looks like yeah, three of them. Boy, girl, boy, 11, six, and four. And uh, they're a handful. We have a lot of fun with them. We're headed up to the lake this weekend, and we like to like to do that on the weekends at times. So very, cool. very supportive wife, and uh, we, we align on the things that matter. Yeah, absolutely. Well, families, families, one of our from our family, uh, one of the core values of our family is first one is family, right? It's it's one of the things that you you have to kind of view the lens of decision making through, right? How is this going to impact them? How is this going to impact who is not here yet? And then who's going to impact of uh, the people who are responsible for for bringing us here? So family is a very big deal here uh, over at Knucklehead. 100%. So with that being said, John, I appreciate you. Uh, anything else that you want to leave these folks with before we jam? No, I think, uh, you know, I just say, don't be afraid to dip a toe in the water. We have never had so much interest in, in business ownership. I think it bodes well for our country. It's exciting to see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say don't sit on the sidelines and, and have FOMO get in the game and at least check it out. <laughs> a good dose of FOMO. That's good. I like that. I appreciate that. All right, John. Well, I appreciate you. Uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, your, your action items are real simple. And John talked a little bit about uh, this book that's coming out. If you're if you're somebody who likes to read, consume information, sounds as if there's there's ample opportunity to do that. In the show notes, we're going to list a couple different ways that you can get in touch with him. One of the websites that he had talked about. Uh, and then, hey, listen, if you like listening, Knucklehead, cool. New episodes are coming as as frequently as we can get them out to you. We try to stay on a cadence every Tuesday with net new episodes. But the reality is, as life happens, can't always do that. So whenever you have new episodes that come out that that hits your uh, that hits your RSS feed or your podcast platform. Make sure that you subscribe. Go back and rate and review. Uh, take a listen to some of these other podcasts that are out there. You'll hear uh, this common theme. John talked a little bit about um, being able to recognize where good opportunities are, and that came from some experiences that were that weren't so great or, or things that worked out differently than what originally had been had planned. So, my encouragement to you is to to go reach out to not only him but reach out to some of the former guests that we've had about what some of their experiences were and, uh, and how that can be uh, something that you can, that you can use to go and, and provide more opportunities for you. So that's the point of this, you know, can't be afraid of the process. You're going to have a bloody nose. You're, you're going to screw up. So when you do just realize that there's plenty of other folks who have made similar mistakes and, and kind of that's, that's what the whole point is. We'll, we'll, we'll be here to help you uh, in the meantime. So John, I appreciate you taking some time, have fun at the lake uh, this weekend. And um, with that, we're a wrap. So, Appreciate you, buddy. Take care of yourself.